Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. It's Valentine's Day coming up around the corner. Gentlemen, look at my face. You got no excuse because your pastor took an extended amount of time on Sunday morning to make sure, thank you Cecil, that you knew that. Is there anybody here that did not remember it was Valentine's Day and is grateful that your pastor would thank you that you wouldn't miss this? Ladies, let me tell you something for you too, Valentine's Day. And when your husband says, baby, what do you want for Valentine's Day? What do you want? Okay. Tell him what you want so he's not having to play the guessing game, you know, and then say this to him. What I really want is for you to make Friday night a priority, to come be a part of other men growing and building their relationships. Because I think I could speak on behalf of your wives to tell you this. Their greatest desire for you is that you would fall madly in love with God and close and close and closer to men of God in their lives. So ladies, it's your chance when your husband says, what do you want for Valentine's Day? Tell him what you want and then tell him you'd like him to be here on Friday night. And I promise you, if, there, if any man that's here on Friday night, you will know how men connect and how men grow. That's my commitment and my promise to you. Amen? Amen, amen. I've heard it said that I might not always know what God is doing, but I can usually see what the enemy is attacking. And if I can see what the enemy is attacking, then I have a pretty good idea that God intends to use what he's attacking. How many of you realize our marriages are under attack? I'm going to say that again. Our marriages are under attack. The institution of marriage, as we know it, is under attack. Its, its definition is under attack. Constantly, we're reading where somebody or some group of people is trying to redefine marriage as if it was theirs to redefine. Its, its importance is under attack. I was reading an article just this week, and uh, sometimes you read things and you're like, how is this person getting published with the ignorance that's, that's present here? They were saying marriage is no longer important because women can earn as much money as men. I'm like, I don't think that's what marriage was intended to be about. Its definition is under attack. Its importance is under attack. Its relevance is under attack today. Somebody said, marriage no longer works because I'm just not happy. Marriage no longer works because I'm not happy. And marriage has become the reason why people aren't happy instead of realizing that it's a person's selfishness and the messiness of sin that has people feeling broken. Look at me when I tell you, marriage isn't broken, we are. Marriage isn't broken, we are. This generation is witnessing parents who grew up in a broken home and they're saying, I don't want that, so I'm just not gonna get married. And our society has said you can have all the benefits of marriage without the commitment of marriage and think that on the other end of that is your happiness. How many of you know they're pursuing the wrong thing? And I don't want to leave anyone out today. You think, oh man, he's talking about marriage. And now listen, I understand that in this room today, there are the married. There's also the hope to stay married. How many of you would say, I'm hoping to stay married. There's also the no longer married that are in our room today. And then there's the unmarried 
who want to get married someday. And then there's even, I would admit, the unmarried who don't ever want to be married again. And we're going to talk to all of those. But chances are a marriage, good or bad, has had an impact on your life. Marriage has had an impact on our lives. And my hope today is that I would share some truths straight from God's word about what he says marriage is and his design and intention for marriage. Y'all ready? Today, let's buckle in. Society will try to tell you that marriage is an out-of-date social construct. The IRS will try to tell you that marriage is nothing more than a tax advantage for you to take every year. Television will try to tell you that marriage is a hit or miss relational gamble. And social media will tell you that marriage is a perfect fairy tale. And if yours isn't just like theirs, then yours is broken. And an uninformed vocal minority will tell you that marriage is their idea and that they can change it at any time to suit their interests. That's the world we live in. Marriage is under attack. But can I tell you that God's word tells us that marriage was God's idea to begin with. It's a sacred relationship that provides support and unity. It's a covenant example of intimacy, an environment for personal growth and development, and it's a picture, it's a model of the gospel. And when it's done according to God's plan, we can look at a godly marriage and get a glimpse at what our relationship with God is supposed to look like And that's why I'm excited to share with you today what God's Word says about marriage. Now, there's a lot of passages in Scripture, some of them like Ephesians chapter 5. You know that one. That's the one that says, wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I'm not going there today. I'm going to a different passage. It's a passage of Scripture that never uses the word husband. It's a passage of Scripture that never uses the word wife. It never even uses the word marriage, but I can't help but read this chapter and be reminded of the godly example that is before us with marriage, God's intent for marriage. So can I do that today? Can I teach you from God's word something that once you see it, you can't unsee it? Once you see what God's word says to you about what marriage looks like, you won't be able to unsee it. And here's why I want to use this passage. Being a good Christian is necessary to being a good spouse. And being a good Christian is necessary to be a good spouse. If you came to me and said, Pastor Don, we need marriage counseling. We need help. Our relationship isn't where it's supposed to be. I'm not starting with your relationship with your mate. I'm starting with your relationship with God. Because I've just learned that if I can get my life right with God, the relationships around me go so much better. So we're going to take a passage of scripture from Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul's writing to Christians. And he's telling you how to be a good Christian. And if you'll be a good Christian, you'll become a good mate. And marriage looks most like what God intends when both of you look most like what God intends for you individually. Let's jump in. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. A lot of scripture today. We're going to go line by line. This is Paul writing from prison. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Can I just tell you, the way you walk is important. But more importantly, the way you see your marriage is important too. If you don't know this, your marriage is a calling. Your marriage is a ministry. 
It's the same language you hear when you say, oh, I've got a call on my life to be a pastor. I've got a call on my life to be mayor, or to, 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 to pastor this church and to be in ministry. The same type of phrasing is used here. Think about this. As a pastor with a call of God on my life, there are places I could go that I choose not to go to. There are things that I can put in my mouth and in my body that I could. They're not prohibited, but because of the calling on my life, I choose not to. There's a picture of something I know I'm called to that's so much greater than just what is allowed. And that picture of that calling is what drives me to be unique in my approach to my calling. Are y'all following me here? Some of you struggle in your marriage just because you don't realize it's God's calling on your life. It's a ministry that you have. Number one tonight or today, I want you to understand this. Marriage is a ministry. Marriage is a ministry. God wants to use our marriages. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than Kayla. And I need to walk in a way that's worthy of that calling. Pastor John, how do we do that? What does it look like? Verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Look at this, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Can I tell you, in my marriage, I'm not just trying to keep peace with my wife. I'm trying to keep peace with God. And if I can walk in a way that keeps peace with God, how many of you know, I'm going to be at peace with her. God wants us to take the focus off of ourselves and off of our mates and put it on him. And if you can be a good Christian, you'll be a good spouse. It's not a negotiation. It's an act of worship. I've learned that if I can get closer to God, I'll get closer to her. Here's how this works. Picture a triangle with God at the top and you and her on either end, right? If I work so hard to try to get close to this, I have conflict. But if I'll just work at getting closer and closer to God, what happens automatically? I'm closer to her. The closer I get to God, the closer she gets to God, we're both following the same destination. Put two people on paths that converge with God's presence and God's plan, and those two people will automatically be closer to each other. I'm telling you, he's not talking about husbands and wives. He's talking about our relationship with God. Verse 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That passage, when I read it, it reminds me of when God established marriage back in the garden between Adam and Eve, and he said, the two shall become what? The two shall become one. I need you to understand number two today. Marriage is multiplication. What are you doing, Pastor Don? What are you talking about bringing math into this? Marriage is not addition. It's not, I'm incomplete, so I need somebody added to me so that I can feel good about myself and be complete. That's addition. You take somebody who is incomplete and add somebody who else is incomplete, and you complete each other, and that's what fairy tales will tell you marriage is, and it's not. Marriage is not addition. Marriage is multiplication. Only a full person in Christ married to a full person in Christ, will be one when they come together. That's how it works. Look, I'll show you this way. The only way you can take two and end up with one is with multiplication. One plus one equals two. Only one times one 
equals one. The only way to get from one and one to one is with multiplication. It gets even real. What happens if you multiply half a person in Christ times half a person in Christ? What do you get? You get more? No, you get less. Half times half equals a fourth. And some of us don't realize why our marriages are hard and we struggle is because we brought two incomplete people and it multiplied together under the weight of marriage and the ministry of marriage. You need one whole person in Christ times one whole person in Christ to end up with the one marriage that God was talking about. Are y'all with me? Your pastor will bring math up into church. Don't, don't tell me I can't. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Look at this line by line. We're just going through his writing his letter. But grace was given to each one of us. Look at this. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Do you know that your spouse is God's gift to you? And look at this. Grace was given each one according to the measure. And with that gift comes all the grace that he knows you will need. Kayla is God's gift to me. And with her, God gave me a little bit of grace. Just a little bit, because I don't need much, because it's like Mother Teresa, Kayla, and you know, I mean, she's just, she's amazing. She's amazing. Now, I'm also God's gift to her. And let me just tell you, he backed that truck up and dumped a ton of grace on her, because she got to be married to me, and God knows what kind of grace she would need in the middle of this. You laughing, but... I'm particular, opinionated, decisive. I know exactly what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And I just, she needs a lot of grace. You look at Kayla and you're like, man, she is so graceful in everything that she does. It's because she needs that grace to stay married to me. Listen, God knows, all joking aside, every bit of grace you need to be married to that person and he gave it to you. He has given you all the grace you need to be married to them. Why? Because it takes you being a good Christian if you're going to be a good spouse. Verse number 10. He who descended, meaning from heaven, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might, what's that word? Fill. What's there to fill if something isn't lacking? Have you ever thought about that? Man, God knows. God knows there'll be gaps in my marriage. God knows that there'll be gaps in my relationships, times when I come up short and, and the other person comes up short. And in those moments, who are we supposed to turn to? We don't turn to them. We don't turn to somebody else. We turn to Jesus to supply what is lacking. He fills all gaps in our relationships. Can I tell you, marriage is not 50-50. It's 100-100 i got to be prepared with God's grace and his empowerment to go all the way. Because there are some days where Kayla doesn't. There are some days where she's trying her best and it's only 80% of the way there. And those, those are easy because I just have to go 20 and we meet in the middle. But what about those days when I can only give 10%, when I can only be at 15? If she's only prepared to be 50, then there's going to be a gap that's there. But if I wake up every morning and say, God, I don't know if I'm going to have everything I need to be in this relationship that you've called me to be in. Will you fill me full to overflowing? God, can you give me 100% of everything that I'm going to need to be in this relationship? Her 100 plus my 100 gives enough for other people for us to be able to help them. How many of you know some marriages that help other marriages? 
And how would you like your marriage to be the kind of marriage that helps other marriages? Can I tell you, ministry is an overflow occupation. I don't minister to you out of a deficiency. I was up on my face before God at five o'clock this morning saying, God, would you move on my behalf through me today? I can minister out of an overflow of what God is doing in my life. And your marriage can minister out of an overflow. It's not 50-50, it's 100-100. Me plus Jesus will be enough for every need that my wife has. Single people, you gotta understand how huge this is. It's huge. You need to look and make sure that the person you're going to marry has a strong relationship with Jesus because there will be a day where you're not enough. There will be a day where they're not enough. And I know they look good and they got it going and all of those things. But the thing you need to make sure is absolutely present in that relationship is that needs to be a man of God. That needs to be a woman of God because there's going to be a moment where you're not enough. And them plus Jesus will make up the difference. Fill in the gaps in our lives. Are y'all getting something from this today? Are y'all understanding what I'm talking about? Let's look at verse 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of what? For ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This reminds me, marriage needs mentors. It needs people in your life. If marriage is in fact a ministry, just getting married doesn't equip you for it. You need others in your life. Yes, I need a pastor in my life, but so much more, I need others. I need friends. I need friends that I could call. I was on the ride home last night from meeting with one friend. I called another. I said, hey, can you just help me process? I just need somebody to listen for a minute. You need small group leaders in your life. That's why I want you to be in a small group. You need people in your life that can help you. You need more seasoned Christians. Do you know that there are actually people in this room right now that I've looked at and said, hey, I give you permission to speak into my marriage. If you're with Kayla and I, and you, you know the kind of marriage we want to have and, and the kind of people that we want to be. And if you ever see anything in our lives that doesn't measure up to the kind of marriage you know I want to have, would you speak to me? Would you tell me that? I've given that invitation. Why? Because my marriage is a ministry and I need to be equipped for it. Verse 13, again, not talking about husbands, not talking about wives, but it's here. Can't you see it? Can't you see how intentional this is? Verse 13, until we all attain, in other words, he knows you're not there yet, to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Every single one of us needs to mature, and he wants to use this marriage relationship to mature you. How many by show of hands would say, my, my marriage has matured me a little bit? Yeah, some of you are still thinking whether or not you want to raise your hand. Spouse is sitting right next to you. I understand. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now, I know you've never brought any craftiness, any cunningness, any deceitful schemes into your marriage. You've never tried to manipulate or situate something or position yourself to get what you want instead of what, what they want. Is that the only, am I the only person in here that has seen that in, in my marriage? You know, I, and I know you've never allowed anybody else to speak into your marriage, the human opinions, right? Like, like the guy at work said, I should do this, or you've never said, well, Dr. Phil said we should look like this. You've never said, my mama said, ladies, let me help you, please 
Do not start a conversation with your husband by saying, my mama said. Unless your mama is Mother Teresa, and then maybe you can get away with that. This part reminds me that I can be a child sometimes in my marriage. We're selfish. We manipulate. We prefer ourselves. We can be just like children sometimes, can't we? Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Lots to unpack here. Let me start this way. Speaking the truth in love. God's design for marriage is that both are needed to speak truth into the relationship. Kayla and I learned our dynamic early on. I'm very vocal. I can articulate. I can put thoughts together. I know exactly how I want to say what I want to say. Kayla's not wired that way. And I found that she would not say things that she felt she needed to say because she wasn't sure she could say it in a way that I could receive it. I mean, no, your pastor never misses an opportunity to use his voice to say what he thinks. <laughs> and I realized she's got some truth that I need to hear. And so this is our dynamic. This is what I said one day. I said, listen, I give you permission to say the right thing in the wrong way. I'm okay with it coming out wrong. I'm okay with it coming out harsh. I'm okay with it coming out with tears and emotional and a bunch of sniffles in between. I need the truth that you have in your life for me and for our relationship. And I give you permission to say the right thing in the wrong way. I need that truth. I need somebody to speak the truth in love. I was having a conversation several years ago with a man. He was contemplating a job change. He had the opportunity to move his whole family to Odessa. It was going to be very lucrative in the oil field for him to do so. And he was, he was torn between the two we were talking. I was giving him some counsel and I was listening. And I said, well, what does your wife say? I don't want you making this decision without hearing from your wife. And he, he looked at me and said, Pastor, that's the problem. She's not saying anything. Now, I know she's trying to be a good wife. I know she's trying to be a good Christian wife and a godly example, but she's not saying anything. And I know I bear the weight for the responsibility of how I lead my wife and how I lead my family and where I lead our household. But if I'm honest to you, I'd really like to know what she thinks. He said this, and I'll never forget this image. He said, I feel like I'm standing butt naked on the end of a pier waiting for the wave to come and crash and somebody's going to come and say, see, I told you so. We never should have done it. What I need most in this moment, not really godly counsel. I need wifely counsel. If my wife would just tell me how she feels, I feel like I could make a wise decision. Look at me, ladies. Your husband needs you to speak truth. Verse 16, it says it's held together by what every joint supplies. What Kayla brings to the table in our marriage isn't just important, it's necessary. You need both of you. You need what both of you bring to the table in order to have the kind of marriage that God intends. Remember, the two have become one, and if you're not telling the truth about what you see, what you feel, or you know, you're not just lying to them, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. Listen to this. I would say it this way. Only a spouse who has believed a lie will withhold speaking the truth to someone they love. Only someone 
who has believed a lie will withhold the truth or withhold speaking the truth to someone they love. I would also say it this way. Only a spouse who has believed a lie will prevent themselves from hearing the truth spoken to them by someone they love. Some of us in the room don't hear truth from others because we haven't received the truth that we have heard in moments when they were brave enough to share it. You want to be someone that everybody will speak truth into your life? Be someone that hears the truth and obeys the truth and heeds the truth and listens to the truth. And I promise you, truth will find you in your marriage and in your relationship. Listen, I'm going to take a second. I'm not just talking to married people. Some of us in here are learning what we need to work on. Some of us in here are learning what we need to look for in future relationships. And some of us are learning what went wrong in our relationship. Marriage isn't broken. We are. Y'all getting something from this? Tell you, we haven't read the word husband yet. We haven't read the word wife. We haven't read marriage. But when you see it, you can't unsee it. Being a healthy Christian is crucial to being a healthy spouse. Verse 17, we'll keep going. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He might as well say, stop looking to Hollywood to help you in your marriage and in your relationships. Brad and Angelina can't help you anymore. Quit trying to gauge your mate off of what you see on television. It's not real. It's not real. They got makeup and all kinds of stuff going on in the middle of that. Quit trying to model your marriage from what you see in the movies. Don't do it the way the Gentiles do it. Try to do it the way God intends to do it. Look what he says about them. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Does that sound like Hollywood to you? Verse 20, but that's not, not, that's not the way that you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, look at this, and the truth is in Jesus. Where's the truth? Not in Hollywood, not in the movies, not on your social media feed, not in Dr. Phil, not on Oprah, not on what your mama says, though I know she's a godly woman. The truth for your marriage is in Jesus. Look what you have to do, verse 22, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Number five, I would tell you, marriage is fed by choice, not by feelings. Marriage is fed by choice, not by feelings. Nowhere in this passage will you hear The Apostle Paul say that being a strong Christian relies on doing what feels good at the time. He doesn't say, do it when you feel like it. He doesn't say, you do you or whenever you think is best. He doesn't just say, this is a big one, just the way I am, baby. That's that's just the way I am. God's word doesn't say that. It's wrong. God does love you exactly the way you are. He just loves you so much he doesn't desire to keep you that way. So he gave you somebody as a gift and enough grace to go along with them that as you pursue him, you'll be pursuing them and that marriage environment will help you grow and be the kind of person God wants you to be. Marriage is fed by choice, not by 
feelings. The way you were cannot be the basis of who you are becoming. You have to choose to lay down your old self and put on the new self, especially when you don't feel like it. Let me help you. Dating relationships. Oh, they come to church on Sunday, but how do they act when they don't get their way? How are they treating the waitress or the waiter when they go into a restaurant? Oh, here, here, I know they treat you well, but how are they treating other people that they don't need anything from, that they don't want anything from? How do they respond when someone tells them no? How do they act when they don't get their way? Is there even somebody in their life that can tell them no? Have they introduced you to somebody and said, this is the person that keeps me on the straight and narrow when I wander off course? One of the greatest strengths and, and stability and security that Kayla has in my relationship, yes, it's my relationship with the Lord, but it's also the relationship with the men in my life, many of whom she has their cell phone number. And she knows if he gets off course, I'm going to make a phone call. Many a derailment has been avoided in my life because I know she knows Pastor Jacob's cell phone number and will use it if she has to. Just a few more verses and then we'll close. Ephesians 4. 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This is what this passage reminds me about my marriage. Number six, in marriage, no words are neutral. No words are neutral. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, scripture tells us. It doesn't say life, death, and some other things. It doesn't say life, death, and some things that you can just cast aside. It doesn't say life, death, and opinions. It's life and death. Every word you speak will either bring life or it will bring death. Many of you don't even realize that the words that you've been speaking to your spouse are so destructive, they're like spitting in the well you're trying to drink from. And when you need somebody to speak some truth, to you. They're mad as a fire ant trying to figure out why you did what you did last week and the things you said and all that. Instead of cultivating this relationship and speaking truth and life. And some of you will hear for the first time today from your pastor that loves you very, very much. It isn't the words that you speak in front of your mate that matter. It's the words you speak, period. It's the words you speak when nobody else is around. It's the words you speak in your mind and in your thoughts. Well, if she needs that one more time, I'm just telling you what I'm going to do. Don't act like you haven't had conversations with yourself about your spouse. If he does that one more time, I'm just saying, no, no, no. If I pick up another pair of underwear, he's going to go to the drawer and not have any underwear in the middle of all. Listen, especially the words you speak to your girlfriends about your husband, especially the words you speak to your parents about your husband. Oh, they tatad you when you were two, but you need a woman of God in your life, not mama, and you wonder, why does my husband not like my parents? Why do my parents don't like my husband? Because every time he does something wrong, you run to them instead of running to Jesus. You want that relationship to be fruitful and fertile. I'm not saying lie to them. I'm saying make sure you're giving them the social media thing. Oh, 
my husband's the greatest thing ever, blah, blah, blah. And you use your thumbs to say that. But when it comes time to get mom and dad on the phone, let me tell you what he did today. And he just did this. And he just, well, baby, you just come home whenever you want to. And you wonder why there's so much tension in your relationship and your marriage. I'm trying to help you. Adam's truth from Scripture. Look at this. Whatever you name them, they will become. That was the job he was given in the garden. Naming the animals and the words that came out of his mouth named them. Husbands, you name your wife by the words that come out of your mouth. Well, let me tell you about my old lady. And you wonder why she looked like an old lady. You named it. You name it. I'm not a big proponent of name it, claim it gospel, but you name that. You need to claim it and quit acting like you, somebody else did that. You did that by the way you spoke. Do you walk up to the trash can and say, man, nobody ever takes a trash route around here. Quit shoving stuff down in here, acting like it don't need to be taken out. Or can you say, oh, baby, this is heavy. I need a strong man to come over here and help me get this trash, trash can up. You got any jars that need to be opened while I'm at it? If you're going to have God's intended marriage, your words should fit the occasion. They should give grace, not condemnation. Don't point out the obvious. Point out the faithfulness. Point out the moments. Listen, guys, ladies, guys are really simple. What gets celebrated gets repeated. You love it when I did that? I'm going to do it again. Maybe I love it when you did that. Oh, okay, well, that was easy. I'm going to do that again. It's that simple. Y'all getting something out of this today? We're not talking about husbands. We're not talking about wives. I'm talking about just being a good Christian. Let the words that come out of your mouth edify others. Be the kind of person that when somebody leaves your presence, they think to themselves, man, I feel so good about myself having been with them. Can you be that kind of person? Number seven, marriage is a reminder. It's a reminder, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I love how it redirects our thoughts back to God, back to the Holy Spirit. I don't need to live with the goal of not grieving Kayla. I just need to please the Holy Spirit in everything that I do. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, doing what? Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I told you earlier, marriage is a calling. It's, it's a ministry, a reason to walk in a special way, a reason to say yes to things that others won't say yes to. It's a reason to say no to things that others will say no to. And in doing so, you'll paint a picture that allows others to see God at work. How many of you want to see a miracle? I'll show you a miracle. Watch God take two completely different people, naturally selfish people, and put them in a God-ordained, God-established covenant relationship and watch Him sustain them through hardship. And in the end, use them to show others His plan and His purpose. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Every time I get upset with something that Kayla does or has said, I'm reminded, Christ forgave me. Christ forgave me. I need to 
forgive her. It's a reminder. Every time I have to lay down something of value to me in order to provide for her, to provide for our relationship, I'm reminded he laid down his life for me. Every time I don't understand why things are going the way that they're going, I'm reminded of Jesus' words in the garden when he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. My marriage is a reminder of how I'm called to live, not as a husband, but as a Christian. The first title in my life, the most important title in my life, the title in my life that every other position and relationship is governed by. Every time I wonder, is it going to be worth it? I'm reminded that this marriage is a ministry, that others are going to eat from it and rest under the shade of the tree that we're building in our lives, that my spouse is a gift and I've been given all the grace that I need. You know, one day, I encourage you to go to Scripture. And we, we read our Bibles with chapter and verse, right? But it wasn't written that way. Y'all, y'all do know that, right? Like, we came behind later to organize it and to help us find things and, and to study it better. And we added chapter and verse. One of the greatest Bible studies you can do is flip to the end of a chapter and read to the next as if it never was there. Because most of it was written that way. This is a perfect example. Ephesians 4.32 is the last verse of chapter 4, but the thought spills right over into chapter 5. Look at this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You want to know the key to a great marriage? Be an imitator of God. Be an imitator of God. To the married in this room, I would say this, imitate God. Be an imitator of who God wants you to be. To those who would say, I hope to stay married in this room today, be an imitator of God. To the no longer married in the room, I would say the same thing. Be an imitator of God. Don't let the pain and the injury of that failed marriage cause you to take your eyes off of Jesus. Don't let that unbelieving spouse and the hurtful things that they've done or said rob you of the identity that you have in Christ. You imitate God even when the person next to you is not. That's how this is supposed to work. And to the unmarried who one day want to be married, I'd say the same thing. Imitate God. Imitate God. Instead of looking for Mr. Right, why don't we just focus on being Mrs. Right? Because the Mr. Right you want is asking God for the Mrs. Right he's been praying for. And you won't have to go looking for them. They'll come looking for you. Imitate God. That's how this works.